Okay, guys, you have tuned in to the Teach Me to Father podcast. It is a father seekers thing for guys, for dads who grew up without a dad, fatherless fathers. That's really who, that's who we're talking to. That's fatherless fathers, guys who are fathers today. Maybe you're not a father now, but you will be. This podcast is for you. We want to talk to you about the the probability of you being a great, amazing dad, even though you didn't have that exemplified for us. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We want you to contact us if you'd like, fatherseekers.org. Teach me to father. I have one of my favorite people in the world today here. An amazing guy. Once you hear his story, you're going to go, where has this guy's story been? Actually, he's got a new book coming out that he's not written yet. (laughs) (laughs) But he's working on it. No, I'm not. (laughs) That's a good lead. That's a good lead. That last last sentence wasn't true, guys. I'm I'm not working on a book, nor do I have a desire to work on a book. Yeah, but a book is coming. I'm sure of it. So... So uh, one of the things that one of the things about this guy is that he has been an influencer in my life for the last three years and uh, been he is amazing. I'm just going to jump into the story. Keith Archiquette. Yes, sir. Good to have you. Good to be here. You are a contributor on Father Seekers. You you have you brought us to a place and now with Father Seekers and now with a rebrand. Teach Me to Father podcast, uh, we're going to hear your story today, and I'll tell you where where I want to jump in, but before I do that, I would just say that you're one of the smartest guys I know. Oh. Yeah, very influential as a young man, business guy, guy in ministry. Uh, you have more talents probably than most people have forgotten in their own lives. <laughs> A very talented guy. Actually, uh, we'll talk about some of the stuff you do, but I want to dive into one of your, one of your parts, story parts that is, is bigly, is a big deal for me. It intrigues me greatly. Okay. And that is your, that is your business, your newest, your newest business that you've, you've launched. Tell us about, tell us about that. Oh, um, so Okay, so yeah, uh, so the, this story goes uh, back to COVID, I, I suppose, 20, 2020. Um, I, every year I like to start uh, the year off with, um, uh, not start the year off, like throughout that year, I like to try something new. Mm. Um, and for like example, like a few years ago, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become fluent in Spanish. Mm. And so daily, still to this day, I'm mm. doing Spanish every day to, yeah. to uh, essentially, I, I thought maybe I could become fluent in a year, which that wasn't the case. Mm. I think I'm on year three right now. Yeah. Um, one year I took up Taekwondo mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to get to a belt level. I ended up getting to that belt level and then life just got really busy. So I had to take a pause on Taekwondo, but I also plan on going back to it. Mm. Um, uh, I, I one, yeah. So I've been doing this for several years. So just things that challenge me mentally or physically or uh, emotionally, spiritually, um, or financially. And so it was, tw- it was in 2020 that year. I, I, I'd read a recent article at that time that says, if, if, if you have five streams of revenue inside of your family, it would, mm. it, it is near impossible to become bankrupt. Mm. And, uh, mm. and so I thought, I'm like, I counted up my revenue streams. I, I'm a, I work, I work at life church. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I make, I have a video production company on the side, mm-hmm. media production company on the side. My wife has a, a stream of revenue. She's a corporate accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I dabble in stock markets mm-hmm. and investments. So I had four streams of revenue already. I'm like, you know, I bet you if I could, if I started another business, that would be interesting. And that's l- 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 all, all that I thought of. So, uh, the year, the year went on, it was early spring. Right. Um, and, and about 10 years ago, I, I got, I got into, uh, cigars, uh, learning the smells, the, the tastes, mm. the history. I'm a big history. I, mm-hmm. uh, really like the history of such a, uh, uh, such a product. Mm. Green Bay, Wisconsin is actually very much known for our tobacco output in the 1800s before we were a paper company. 
uh, town before we were a Green Bay Packer town before we were a meat packing company mm. town. We were actually uh, uh, a port town, mm-hmm. so the port of Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Ships would come in, dock at Green Bay, and re re uh, refill on uh, on quote unquote essentials. Mm-hmm. So they would get like toiletries, they yeah. get booze, and they get cigars. Yeah, and one cigar, that's the, the tobacco products, right? So Green Bay actually at that in the eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds, we were a massive exporter of cigars. I didn't know that, but when I learned about the town and about our history, uh, you know, that, I, that blew me away. Like green Bay, the cash crop was tobacco in the 1800s. I did not know the Southwest portion of the state before it became cranberry fields, which now a lot of people don't know that either, that Wisconsin is the greatest exporter of cranberries in the world. Ocean spray almost exclusively gets everything from Wisconsin. I did. We don't know that we're a cranberry state. Well, we, we, we've been lied to and we told, we've been told we're a cheese state. I mean, we are, and we are a cheese state. (laughs) Some of the best cheese in the world, but Wisconsin and green Bay in the area has such a vast history. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I I told my friend, we were having a cigar in my backyard. We were six feet apart. It was, it was that time. Mm -hmm. It was that time in the, Mm -hmm. in the world. Like Mm -hmm. it was strange time. And I go, Hey Mike, uh, I've been thinking about, I want to start, a, I want to start a business. I just don't know what I want to start a business. And Mike, my friend, he's a serial entrepreneur and mm. I've known him for 20, uh, I've known him for 21 years. Mm. Uh, weird number that I know, but I know I've known mm-hmm. him for 21 years. The man's probably owned 10 businesses, mm. right? He, he, he starts something he accomplishes it. He gets bored with it. He's like, I'm going to try something else. Mm. He, 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 he is, a, he's a, he, he has a beard oil company. Mm. Um, and it is good product. It's called uh, Bay Products. It's beard oil. He did that for like a year or two, and it that one made it into stores. And he very good. He also owned a uh, cigar lounge in Green Bay. Now mm-hmm. we have a cigar lounge in Green Bay called yeah. Prohibition. Yeah. And but before it became and was called Prohibition, it was called Title Town Tobacco. And I was, remember that it was located in Alloway. I remember. And that. so my friend Mike, uh, he was uh, one of the owners of it. Mm. And um, and then mm. you know business is is what business is, and they. They parted their separate ways. Uh, the ownership wanted to move downtown, wanted mm-hmm. to become a bar. Mike was like, I don't really want to do any of that. Um, so uh, as life would have it, they veered their separate ways. So this is 2020. Uh, we're on my picnic table in my backyard. And he goes, I've been thinking about getting back in the cigar industry. Mm. And we're having a cigar. And I'm like, well, that's that's neat. What did you think? And like, you know, and he goes, I was thinking about actually making a cigar line. Mm. And, and my initial reaction is the same reaction that I tell people when I, t- I tell them about my new business. I'm like, no one, no one sits down and says, I'm going to make a cigar. Let's do it. Hmm. Like th- that's so that cigars are made in, in other countries, right? Yeah. Very few are rolled in the United States that are uberly successful. Even right. the, even the uh, United States owned companies are made in other countries. So, I mean, we, we planned it over the, over a year. Uh, we had, he had connections in the industry from already owning a lounge. So he knew reps, he knew, uh, vendors. And so shooting out some emails and texts to texts to these people. They're like, well, how do we get in a hold of a, of a factory down in Nicaragua? (laughs) And then one guy, lo and behold goes, here's a contact. Mm. He takes on boutique, boutique brands are like smaller brands. Mm -hmm. He takes on boutique brands all the time. Give him a call. Mm-hmm. And so over the next couple of years, we, uh, it, and it took years to get through the licensing, mm-hmm. to get through all the paperwork, to come up with a blend. Um, I own a cigar company and, wow. and, and, and a cigar company that is getting some legs and becoming a full-time gig here. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen a couple of people like national cigar, uh, connoisseur programs yep. who are YouTube famous, yeah. like big deal guys. Yep. Uh, I've seen a couple of those and, and you get some good, yeah, you guys get good press on we, those. We've been getting a lot of good reviews from national, uh, national cigar reviewers. Um, my, my brand's called lovelycigars.com. Mm. Lovely, like ain't they lovely. Mm. And our first line, our first, uh, our first cigar that came out was called ain't they lovely, which was a, as I, as the story kind of wraps up here, um, there was a company in the 1800s in green Bay that rolled cigars and they were called ain't they lovely. Mm. And so we found a box of, of these that was made in 1880 or something. Unbelievable. We found it in an antique store. And we loved the artwork. And so we replicated all of it. Was there anything in the box? Uh, no, no, no. Wow. Uh, but so we, so we resurrected an old Green Bay family company. Yeah. The family, oddly enough, still lives in the Denmark area. And when we were like, huh. we were like, we're going to, we reached out to him and said, Hey, we're thinking about 
uh, starting a cigar line, but we really want to take your great, great grandfather's idea and name. And there wasn't any copyright on it. We already looked mm -hmm. in the records and stuff. They, they didn't re up their copyright in the sixties. Yeah. So it was, it was ours freely to take, Right. but we reached out to the family and the family was like, you should, that would be really cool. That's and they great. started emailing us stories about, cause, cause it was a family business. So their great, great, great grandfather, their great, great grandfather, and then their grandfather. Also. So the, the person living right now, he's, he's an older gentleman, like older, older gentleman, mm -hmm. but he's like, yeah, I remember my grandfather would, would still roll cigars and in his, in his mm -hmm. garage at the time, I think they lived on Barrage street. So like, Oh my god, like the history of that. And so my, our line, uh, we want to, we want to shine light on, the the history of Wisconsin, the history of Green Bay. We love this city. Yeah. This is this is my it's city. A, it's a great, it's a great, great city. And there's this there's this little bit of uh there's this little bit of history that's yeah. all but forgotten. Yeah. And so we we based our entire company's name and image off of uh Green Bay and, and everything that mm. this before this town was built on cheese before it was built on the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. It was built on the shoulders of cigar rollers. Yeah. It was a blue collar town that mm -hmm. just from its proximity to the, to the great lakes yeah. said, this is, this is what the people want. And this is what people are going to get a, a port town, a port town. you know, there's, you, you brought up and that's a great story. And if you, whether you're a cigar guy or not, uh, one of the, one of the things that's intriguing about, about, uh, your story and your company's story is uh, you you guys were sitting at a at a weird time in history. Mm. You've used the word history a lot. We're going to talk about yours in a second. But at a weird time in history and how something amazing, a great idea that was a resident residual in your hearts for a long time, it just happened at this this weird time in history that this surfaced, mm -hmm. and it was the thing. Before we leave this part of your story, talk about the the recent connection. I forgot who it was you were telling me the other day, but some national, international recognition people who recognize great cigars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell me about that. Oh yeah, uh, we. So this isn't like just a small mom and pop operation anymore. This mm -hmm. is, oh, and we, we got product in September of 2022. Mm. So it is currently, if you're listening to this after the recording, it's currently June of 23. Yeah. So all, everything we've done thus far is essentially in nine months yeah. worth of having an actual product. And it yeah. took a long time, like I said, to make a recipe, to communicate with a third world country, um, back and forth, get licensing. So every move we've made thus far, uh, and, and I, I tell people this, uh, they're like, we had a we were we were on a show um, called called Taking It to the Nub. It's a very in the cigar world. It's a very popular show. Same um, and uh, and he had us on on a video interview. And he he why what is going on like this? You don't see initial companies like this out of the gate have such a good brand mm. and such a good intro cigar. Let alone it's like everything you do, you guys can't miss. Yeah. And I tell him God has favor in my company. Yeah. He just has favor yeah. in the in the moves I make. Mm -hmm. And we haven't, we haven't missed. So, I mean, uh, as reviews keep coming in from world renowned companies that, mm -hmm. that their only job is to review cigars and that's yeah. how they make their revenue. Um, they're the, all of, all of them are, the ratings are super high. We're, uh, we're getting in a distro chain, a distribution chain right now that, um, yeah, uh, it's, we are, we are currently in 11 States in 28 shops. So, but this time, and again, nine months worth of product. Nine months. Um, this time and, next and year, the, and, we are we are we're going at a rate of almost like every ten days picking up another shop or another state or something. Yeah, so yeah. it's we we yeah we're we're moving product and and people are liking it. So so, uh, when you when you study when you study the creation of the world, mm -hmm. there's there's this Latin phrase that you keep running across in Genesis you, when you read. And, and use commentaries about Genesis 1. Uh, there's this phrase in Latin called ex nihilo, mm -hmm. out of nothing. And, and the idea or concept is, is that all that exists was created by God, and it happened uh, by virtue of his thought and his intent, and then he spoke it into existence. Mm. So what I find interesting is that that God wants to speak to all of us 
in in where we are to show us that that in uh, and in the midst of our nothing, he can create something amazing and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's go. Let's answer this question. Who who is who is Keith Archiquet? Tell us your story. Oh, uh, now this is. Let me give you a cue here. I've heard most of your story. Yeah. And it's probably one of my favorite stories. So, so don't hold back on the highlights. Okay. Because some of your highlights create some of the best backdrop for your today story that were painted years ago. Um, biblically, God has this knack of using the most unqualified person mm-hmm. to do glorious things. It's good. And I, who am I? I am unqualified. I am, I am, uh, I'm the least likely hero to be played in this story. Uh, but God, hmm. who, who, who am I? I'm, 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 I'm just like everybody else. Hmm. Uh, the difference between my story and I know as a, I'm 41 years old now, hmm. um, I'm reached a point in my life where, where you look back, you tend to reminisce more. You mm-hmm. tend to evaluate more. Yeah. I know, I know where I'm at in, in this, in this story. Mm. And it's, 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 there's more, there's, there's, there's more time behind me than I, than there is in front of me. I know this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like everyone else. I'm not uh, an anomaly. I'm not, I'm not a shooting star in the sky. The only difference between my story and others is that when, when God called, I picked up the phone. I just, that's good. I just answered. That's good. That's, that's the takeaway. When God called, I answered the phone. So talk about, talk about, that's really good. Uh, let's go back to early years. Mm-hmm. Again, incredible, just an incredible story. Go back to early years and tell me, Start wherever you want to jump in at. Sure. What What was the most impactful first first meaningful moment, and then just tell us history from there. I, I can tell you what my, what my first childhood memory was, mm. and a lot of people can. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think long and hard, I mean, everyone can think of point one. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember hearing my parents fighting and screaming, and I remember how dark the house was. Mm. And I would have been four. Yeah. Um, so my story starts with the, I don't, I can't see anything before it. Mm. My story starts with that. And that set and that set the paint and backdrop for the rest of my life. Mm. Uh, my dad uh, was an addict. He was an alcoholic. Mm. Um, they had recently moved to uh, Wisconsin there my mom and my dad were from California, Southern California. My dad is from Compton and my mom's from Long Beach. Mm. Uh, my mom was in a gang. My dad was gang affiliated. Um, my dad, my, my mom, my mom became pregnant when she was 15, I think, mm. and dropped out of school. And my dad would enlist in the Navy at the time, which was a smart move. He was, those streets, I, I those streets aren't, aren't like what, the nineties rap would have you think they are, they are now, mm-hmm. but in the, in the, in the seventies, they weren't, um, they were bad streets or poor. It was just poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, my father enlisted in the Navy goes to the Naval base. My brother's born. They're just kids. What they're kids. Like my mom's 16 at the time or something mm. drops out of high school. I don't think that my mom was going to really do anything with it anyway. She, just from where she was, she's getting in fights. She's gangbanger. Mm. which is normal, I suppose, in South Central, even, mm. even to this day, it's, it's normal. That's cause that's the world. That's the world that they live in. It's poverty and crime. How do you expect anything else from that? Mm. Um, I show up in the story a couple years later, my father gets discharged from the Navy. Um, they move to Green Bay because my father is Oneida. My mom is Mexican. Um, mm. So, uh, okay. The, slow now slow down on that part because, yeah, sure. Because for me, one of one of the things that I like about people's story is is 
what makes them who they are, mm-hmm. where they came from, who yeah. who the mom and dad is. Well, sure. You you you're probably wondering how do a, how does something so beautiful like you're a handsome man? What what that's Mexican and Oneida. You yeah. put those two together, yeah. you get a handsome young. Yeah, man. you're a good looking guy. You're a good looking guy. Yeah. So I understand the reason to pause there. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> my man. That, that's um, my Denzel Washington. So, my man. So my uh, so so what happened was um, my my. My my father uh, is own part of an odd tribe. Uh, he's, he's, I think one hundred percent Oneida, so that puts me right around the, the fifty mark, I guess. Um, but they that his family, um, his brothers and sisters, and uh, his parents wanted to move back to um, Oneida on the reservation because you get uh, if if you're part of the Oneida tribe, you get the benefits of free health care, free dental, free optical. Uh, so there are some benefits or some like some actual living, really, uh, really realistic benefits of being a tribal member member, um, in the, in, in the, in the eighties and even today. Uh, so my mom, she was married, she was married to him. So they, uh, she came with, so my mom's a fish out of water, right? So she, mm-hmm. she was only known, uh, South central LA and, uh, she didn't know her dad, um, really. Mm. Uh, her mom, so my grandmother was a was a prostitute. Mm. Um, so as I as I as I say a little bit of my mom's story, it's like the my mom today is a very accomplished mm. human being. It's with faults, amazing story with faults. But to see the phoenix come out of that ashes, it's nothing mm. short of a miracle. Oh, there's no doubt. My father didn't get that opportunity. Mm. Uh, my father succumbed to his addiction. Uh, when I, when I was five, mm. um, his father died similarly. His, his, uh, the, the last name Archiquette is one of that carries a generational curse. Mm. Uh, my, my father would get into a car accident, uh, March 29th in 88. Mm. Um, I was five. Mm. And I, if I remember correctly, he ends up killing, uh, one other person in the, in the opposite car and then really screwing up the other passenger in the other car and, um, he, he, he ends up dying on highway 41 mm. over by, over by the Velp interchange. Mm. Uh, he's actually the reason why they put up, they don't turn right sign on Mason street because he just went down the wrong highway mm. and drove into incoming traffic for miles. Mm. Um, so my father passes when I'm, when I'm five, my mom now, I mean, she has one or two options. We go back to California. There's no, there's no future there. Or she figures out what to do. So can you imagine that? I, I, I sometimes, I sometimes fail. Yeah. Like, and so me and my mom have this, like, uh, I, women, I, I respect women because I've, I've seen my mom do uh, unimaginable things by her, essentially by herself. Single moms are the most under recognized, underestimated, powerful force in the world. Yeah. Single moms. So she so she stays in Green Bay, and mm. but she doesn't have her family, you know, and whatever her family was. I have an aunt, and then in the, in the, my latter years, I've had an opportunity to meet um, more of my family. But so I I, I don't know my LA family that well, uh, as well as I, I would like to. And they are my extended family in LA is very very loving. Very I I wish I would have been. I spent summers there in LA and I feel LA is part of my DNA. Like it's when I, when I go there, it feels sure. home. Sure. But, uh, I mean, just proximity. You don't, I, you don't, you don't meet, you don't, you don't get those people in your life. I have one aunt that I communicate to almost daily uh, from mm. LA and, and mm. I, I love her. And she flew in a lot and would help in the, in that season. My dad's side of the family would end up kind of saying you're, uh, my son died. My brother died because, cause you did this to him, to my mom. Mm. And so that side of the family didn't really want anything to do with me. Mm. So I, one aunt of that group was very active in my life. Her name's Pam. And, mm. um, but the other ones just kind of wrote, wrote me and my brother off. Yeah. And so we are, we're dead in the water. My mom has no, no support here. Uh, there's a family in LA that an extended family that wants to know me. Um, and they're, you know, they have their issues too. 
They're like not, it's not like the Brady Bunch over there. Sure. But they at least are interested in knowing me. Well, yeah. But the proximity of it mm. is a matter. And and then there's my father's side of the family that is, is okay not knowing me. It's, it's, and as years have progressed and I have since met some of them, uh, I understand why God wanted it that way. You know, like why God said, mm. The best way, and, and as I go with this story, because the story doesn't make a few people sound good. My real, my life story doesn't make, it makes some people sound bad. The reality of it is. As the, as, as we as human beings always judge our, our, always judge ourselves on our intentions. I'm well intended. I have the heart for it. Sadly, the world will judge you on your actions. And mm. if I judge my family as a whole, based on their actions, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. Uh, so w- when you say you should, shouldn't you be honoring your, your, your mother and father as, as the word would tell you, I, I honor my mom and my father by surviving. I honor them by being better. I honor them by breaking the generational curse good. that was laid on my family. Good. You want, I honor my mother by saying, yes, me and her, there was a long season there that she was bad very bad, mm-hmm. but I can tell you today she's redeemed. Yeah. I honor my mother and father by surviving Yeah, and making this world better. So you, so, so, so historically, at least generationally. And one of the things I think as, as, as fatherless guys who, who re- reverse a little bit and look at history from where they stand today, mm. you try to figure out as you get older, and some of the tools that we have here locally that we use to figure things out about our past. Um, we, when I, when I, you brought a, a thought to my mind when I stood over my dad's casket, he, he left, um, just disappeared one night. I was like five years old, six years old, it just disappeared. Finally found him about a year later. He had run away with the next door neighbor. Um, um, tracked him down, went through junior high school, high school, went to college, finally reconnected with him. And then fast forward, he passed away from, from some, some sickness that he had. When I stood over his casket, uh, talking about honoring sometimes parents who are not worthy of it. Mm-hmm. I think, I think when we do that, there's a healing that comes. And I think, I think it's like forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. So honor doesn't mean that I, I talk all the good stuff about somebody and make them somebody that they're really not. But as I stood there, I said, I did the best I could to make things right with you. So when I tell his story now, I talk about the things that I know of him that are good mm. and that, that the things that, that I, that I do now with my kids to circumvent and move forward. When you said that about honoring your parents, talk just a minute to, to guys who are listening right now who are full of anger and hatred at their parents for whatever reason, and to be true and to be sure, we'd never know the whole story with our parents. Yeah. But we, we can figure out a little bit about where they came from and knowing that, where they came from, maybe why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I mean, you've said this before in the podcast and just in general that you, if you don't know, then you just don't know, right? Yeah. So I, 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 put my, I, I put myself in the perspective of, uh, of my mother. Mm. Uh, she didn't know how to raise kids. She didn't have a mother. I mean, she had a physical mother, I suppose, mm. that was out partying, drinking, mm. making money however she could. Mm-hmm. Her father abandoned. Mm. Um, There's a story. He, would, he ended up in Texas. I met him once before he passed. But like, so the, she, my mom doesn't understand family. Yeah. She doesn't, she, I mean- we all had television and at that, that, at that point the Brady Bunch was a show, you bro, know, and, bro. uh, I grew up watching, uh, so I didn't have a lot of people in my life growing up. So I grew up watching sitcoms. So you were a latchkey kid too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I, I would, and I didn't have the family that the sitcoms had, but I, and, and as I became a father, uh, what brought me to back, what brought me to church was, I don't know what I'm doing. And, mm. but I, but I, I tell you what, if I take some of, uh, Carl Winslow and Danny Tanner, if, mm. I, if I put all those, mm-hmm. all these TV dads, if I put Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, yeah. if I put all these families together, yeah. I bet you that's a blueprint for me to father. Yeah. And so, so good, I, Keith. I, I realistically, that was my battle plan. Yeah. And yeah. because I didn't, I, I didn't have a, a dynamic that I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So I took all these TV dads and I said, I'm gonna take a little bit of all these TV dads. Mm. And I, I, my wife, she was the one that said, we should, well, we should go back. We should go to church mm. and take our chances with Jesus. The likelihood of a child becoming a psychopath being raised in the church is greatly diminished right? <laughs> than right. not. And that's what's why we came back to church. But, you know, I, I, I to put my, my, the perspective of, of my mom, she was, was she there? No, no, she wasn't, she wasn't present growing up. Um, mm. Did she care a lot about me? I, I believe as I look back now, she loved me. She, she loves me today. Uh, but she didn't know how to show love. Mm. It was never shown to her. Right. She would remarry almost instantaneously mm-hmm. to a guy that um, today I have a relationship with that if I, if I saw today, we don't talk very often, which is kind of sad. But if I see, I would, I would give a hug to and, and say, and genuinely say, how, how are you doing, man? Yeah, yeah. And he would ask the same thing. I think yeah. my kids have met him twice, but he was just, you know, this, this guy she marries was in our lives for 10 years, I think. And, uh, and I, I, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say, he, just, he didn't care about us. Yeah. Right. He had, he had a couple kids of his own and this blended family. I can't blame him. Right. I, I never felt like the, the, the father getting down on a knee and saying, all right, son, this is how you do things. Right. That never happened. It right. was, I was, I was, I was a living being inside of a, a house. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my, my mom and her, and her husband would do, would just leave, just go do things. Mm. My mom would ultimately get her high school diploma mm. while we were kids. She got her college degree, bachelor's degree. And then she would ultimately get a master's degree in psychology where she then became a, either she was going to go into practice or became an instructor or a teacher or professor. And she is a a instructor at uh, NWCC, very successful and psychological instructor. And she makes great strides and impacts with her students. And and throughout all of this, uh, we've had our ups and downs and, and she learned how to, she learned how to mom eventually. Yeah. And she learned, she, she learned how to mom. But here's the thing. Like it came late. I was, I was already an adult Yeah. when me and her had that, where were you yeah, conversation? Yeah, yeah. You didn't, oh, you didn't care anything fun. about me. I yeah. didn't, what, you know, that, that conversation, yeah. yeah. The, I was nobody to you. Yeah. You, and so I watched a lot of TV growing up. Yeah. <laughs> like I, like how the story starts. Uh, I watched a lot of TV and I, I, I watched families on TV and I was like, that'd be cool. It's just not, it's just not, I just didn't get that card. Yep. So uh, to, to your point, we're, we're talking about reference points. Yeah. Like it, there's, 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 there's three things. There's reference points can be one of three things. They can be a monument, a regret, or a reference point. And I, I think sometimes as we look at, uh, we look at, um, we look at, Regret guys tend to regret more and then become accusational and throw rocks at themselves and their parents. Mm. And that doesn't work. Um, what's interesting is that you said your, your mom learned how to mom. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what's interesting about her story is that she, She's got a, a master's degree in psychology. Yeah. So yeah. how much she's educated. She understands the psychology of what has yeah. happened. Yeah. And she gets how to read people and how to Right. And I think she did this because she was searching for answers for herself. There you go. You know, like there why why did no one care about me as a kid? Why right. was it just me and my sister? Right. And to whom is the aunt in, in LA that I talk to daily? Right. Why was it just us? Yeah. Like so she, her in her pursuit of answers for herself, she ended up becoming a very successful, uh, a very successful, uh, professional. Mm. And to which I, 
that's when you look at where she came from to what she is now, that's remarkable. That's Mm -hmm. so that you could always be the, well, why me the, yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I, but I I don't look at it like that. Like me and me and my mom didn't have a, it wasn't a good childhood. We, we can now sit back at family dinners and be like, yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like it was bad, but you know what? My kids have this awesome grandmother. Yeah. My kids have, and she's, as a grandmother, knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Like she, if I call on her today, and I wish I could have called on her when I was seven. Yeah. If I call on her today, yeah. her life drops and she comes for my family. Right. And That's so good. I, who she is today, I am so proud of. Mm. And who she's still growing to be, yeah. I'm so proud of. Yeah. And and if I, have to, if I had to say, hey, you either can have a good childhood or your children can have an awesome grandmother, which you can't have both, unfortunately, mm-hmm. son. You can't have both. Which do you want? I would say give my, give my children a good, right. That's so good, Keith. So, so your mom, uh, your dad passes, your mom's here. Yeah. Did you guys stay here or did you go back to LA? We we stayed here. I spent, uh, significant times as as a youth in LA. So Mm -hmm. I I knew the LA lifestyle. I, uh, it was fun. It was beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. expensive, but, uh, we stayed here. Um, you know, as a, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about my, my, my kids are eight and seven mm. and, and my wife reminds me of this a lot. Like I remember it was kindergarten and we lived blocks away from school and I would walk myself home. I'd unlock the door. I'd make myself dinner. I'd sit in front of the television and, mm. and quote, wait for your dad to get home. Mm. And, uh, and I was always under the pressure he was working, mm. but he was, he was at the bar. Mm. And I think about that, that kid that just putting on Nickelodeon at four o'clock eating a peanut butter sandwich, mm. just wanting somebody to be home. Yeah. And no one's, no one's going to, no one's coming. Nobody's coming. No one's coming. Just you. So as, as, as the, the, the fatherless thing, as we turn that chapter, I'm, I'm probably seven at this point in the story. And, and I, I'm watching television and seeing dads mm-hmm. and I'm seeing my friend's dads mm. and I'm, I'm, I'm downright angry. Yeah. I wake up in the morning, I get on a bike and my mom's not there because she's doing things. She's, you know, as I look at it, she's going to college. She's with her husband. It doesn't really matter what I, I, I don't, I don't really matter in the story right now. Mm. And so as a seven year old, eight year old, nine year old, 10 year old, I'm getting angry Mm. and there's, there's resentment building up and I guess maybe for a minute, I, I wish he never died. Mm. And then, the, then that coin flips and goes, dying was the best thing he could have done for me. Yeah. When you start, as I age and I get the truth of what, what was my destiny had he lived? Mm. And I can sit today as a 41 year old man and say, the best thing he probably could have done was die. Mm-hmm. Uh, without, without, without answering like you did answering God called and, yeah. He just didn't answer. He just didn't answer. Yeah. We all have this opportunity mm-hmm. to turn a page and to, we all do. I, I, I know we all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, 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 it's up to us if we're going to do it or not. And you don't have to, if you live of this world, if you live of the world, you don't have to do any of these things. Mm-hmm. And society might even say you're doing life downright. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you do do these things, if you do answer the call, step into what God wants. It's just, a, it's different. So you're a little guy, you were waiting on dad to come home. Mom's busy trying to make life for you and mm-hmm. the sibs and trying to, trying to figure out who she is. Yeah. 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 And again, she's 24, 25 yeah. and lived, think a, of, and think lived about, a full life, lived a full life since at 24. So, I mean, let's think about what she's in her late twenties now. And then I think about what I was doing in my late twenties. Well, I did have the mental capacity to have already been a widow. Tragically, you know, they they divorced, and then months, a couple months later, he dies. Mm-hmm. You know, but for all intents and purposes, that's still her husband, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, and your dad. Yeah. So there's a there's a an inevitable. You plop yourself in an entirely different part of the country where no one cares, right? You, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, and have kids, but I but imagine. realize that the trail behind you is. It's South Central LA. Oh yeah, I can go back to that. Yeah, 
So yes. So as do I wish my mom was around as a kid? Yes. Do I wish that she hadn't remarried immediately and maybe picked a guy that at the time could have maybe cared a little bit about us? Yes. Do I wish I had a dad? Yes. Do I wish that even if it's stepdad that he cared a little bit? Yes. <laughs> and we look at, and you know, if, if he's listening, I, you know, I, I don't feel, I, I wouldn't feel ashamed to say that to his face. Yeah. But as, yeah. as, as, as life has it, I see him once every couple of years. Yeah. And, 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 and then it's let sleeping dogs lie. He was a kid too. He was too. Yeah. He was a kid. Yeah. And who knows how he grew up. So you're, you're, you're Keith, seven, eight, nine, ten, riding down the road on your bike, looking for a dad, not nothing, there. You nothing. got distracted. Talk about what you got distracted with and where that road led. I would say I was about 12 years old when I started drinking. Mm. Uh, 12, 13 when I started doing Now, drugs. this was all anger-driven. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, here's the thing. Like When the the first beer I had, I knew there was a problem because as all the other kids, because we, you know, we, took, we, took we took a beer from someone's... Uh, dad's fridge, right? Mm. And then all the other kids go, Oh my gosh. I was the only one to swallow me like, that's pretty good. Yeah, let's go. So like I knew I have this natural my palate likes the taste. Yeah. So there is truth to the gene. There oh there is, is. truth there's there is. there's truth to uh generational curses. Mm -hmm. Uh there's truth to um there's truth to having a disposition or a bent toward the same things that your parents did. Sure. I think we overlook that sometimes. It's not an excuse. We're mm -hmm. responsible for our own actions. But nobody was there to say, hey, man, stop sign. That's not you. So that one beer led to. <laughs> that, that's not you. Who Who knows? <laughs> who knows what I was? This is this is exploratory surgery. This beer just opened right, up some right. some stuff for me to explore. Right, right. What happened? All of a sudden, I, I all of a sudden, the beer was. Uh, I liked the taste, and as as you you turn from thirteen to fourteen to fifteen to sixteen, and you start going to mm. like parties. Yeah, and that just and then there's older people around, so now you're you're and it sounds weird now because I can't imagine. So I'm fifteen, sixteen years old, but there's like twenty year olds at a park and where everyone's just drinking beer. But, yeah. but the real turn was one like, like, so the beer was what it was. It, that ended up becoming incredibly bad for me because of my addictive personality. Um, the first time I did drugs though, that was, um, I, I was, if you always lived like depressed and sad, then what was me? And then you take one thing and then three minutes later, you're like, Whoa, life might not be bad. Wait yeah. a minute. Life, Oh my gosh, I don't feel sad. Oh my gosh, I'm I just I'm literally smiling. I feel good. I feel good. All I have to do is do this and I mm. wait a minute. Life might not suck. It might actually be okay. Mm. Oh my gosh, I could do anything. What could I do? Oh my gosh, it doesn't even matter what happened because I'm I'm smarter. Yeah. I'm I'm all of a sudden more intelligent. I'm all of a sudden I I guess handsomer more handsome. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm charismatic weirdly. Like yeah. I, I don't like people normally. I don't talk Yeah. like, and, and then people it's like, if, if you've heard me on this podcast, it is a labor for me to do something like this. Cause I don't like to talk to people. I'm yeah. talking to Barry right now, but yeah. if I focus for too long on that, there's probably a couple hundred people that are listening right now. I literally a couple million. Run, I want to run a away. Million. So this, oh, this drug makes me something I'm not. Yeah. And and so after night one, you're like, you wake up again and you're sad again. And mm -hmm. you're like, no one cares about me. Life sucks. Yeah. But it didn't last night. Mm. So I, ch I, I chased, I chased, I romanticized that first night mm. for the Ooh, next. That's so good. For the right next there. eight years of my life, I kept chasing that first night in everything I did. Mm -hmm. And I, I could get that, I get close to that first night again if I just increased the dosage. Right. If I could just double the dosage. If I could, you know what? I felt like that at 7 p.m. Wouldn't it be cool if I could feel like that at 8 a.m.? And so I double dosed, triple dosed throughout the day. And something happened where my morals and values depreciated quicker than, uh, than my standards could. And I knew what I was doing was awful. And then, then I, 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 got, I fed into a lie that the addiction every day told me I was... I was smarter and stronger and braver and people wanted to be around me. And I chased it, chased it, chased it until it pulled the rug from underneath me and said, 
<laughs> got, mm. Gotcha. Got it. Mm. And then I chase it just to be normal. And then I'm spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars a day to make it so I stop shaking, to make it so I stop throwing up. Mm. I wake up at 2 a.m. and I'm throwing up. So I have a bottle by my bed and I'm drinking it. I'm 18 at the time and I can't buy liquor easily. So I have this maybe a quarter of a shot left in this bottle and it's three o'clock in the morning and, and that's not enough. I've always been, a, I've been a diabetic since I was second grade. So I have syringes and I pour the bottle out on the, on the end table and, and draw syringes and I put them in my vein mm. be, because that's all I had left and that's all I knew would work. And then you reach this, this desperate moment of it's, it's all gone and no one's coming for you. Hmm. You've always been alone. Hmm. I, I would try and kill myself a handful of times. One time, uh, in my, in my, in the, my delves of depression, I load a gun, I pull a trigger and the gun jams. <laughs> and as a 41 year old, and I look back now, I said, but God, but at the time, you know what but I did? God. I, I, I was yeah. scared. I threw the gun on the ground and I yeah. said, I can't even effing kill myself. Yeah. Right. I can't even kill myself. Right. Yeah. That's good. Talk about the thing that, uh, that exacerbated, exacerbated the addiction and the drug use of the alcoholism and, uh, chasing that first night. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's like asking a, uh, someone addicted to pornography. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. I don't know. Huh. Just one day I, I realized I couldn't stop. Yeah. And I, I always, I wanted that feeling I did in the beginning. I just want to put that in a bottle and take that over and over and over mm. again. But that feeling never came back. Yeah. And then I was, my hands were tied so tightly I couldn't get the chains off. First night's always a lie, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You, you replace that with any, any addiction. How does a person become 500 pounds? I yeah, know. I don't know. I just one bite at a time. I don't know. I just, I just yeah. kept eating, and I yeah. didn't. It, and then all of a sudden, it stopped feeling good. Yeah. Why does a person become a sex addict or a gambling addict? I don't know. I, right. I won the first night. It's good. And now I, I, I have no mortgage because mm. I, I'm too in debt. I don't know how it happened. Huge deception. So. Yeah, it's one could say, "Well, it's the devil." Then it is. The devil knows how to hang you. He well, knows your Achilles. Yeah. Talk about your, your, while this, this is moving forward, this, this, you're wrestling this addiction. Talk about when you jumped into the music industry and how that happened. Sure. There's uh, two, there's two tracks going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Super high level of success, amazing success. And then this addiction on, on the other parallel. Talk about the music side. So I, I've, I think we all have a, a, a ability that God has blessed us with. Mm. Um, most, most human beings will use that ability for self gain. Mm. And, and I did too, but I, as I do it now in a worship band and I realize I could never play music like I used to mm. because it just makes no sense anymore. Yeah. Well, I, that's I, good. Keith I, in, in my, um, my mom says in my morning, uh, she wanted to pers- let me pursue a hobby. And so I was six years old and I was, uh, my, my mom bought me a bass guitar and it, <laughs> wow. it was a small little bass. And I was at the time, the bands on the radio were like Poison and Motley Crue, Metallica. Mm. And man, I got into music and, and music, music though, too, it, it wasn't like worship music is today for me where I can get into it and feel God. I got into it because these, these, I could under, they were writing songs that I understood and a six year old shouldn't understand these songs. Mm. Seven-year-olds shouldn't understand these songs, but I, 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 so I got a bass guitar and I was actually really good at it. I, I just could play it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just, I got really good at it fast. And then I picked up other instruments and got really good at it fast music. I could mm. not build you a birdhouse to save my life. I'm terrible at building and construction. I'm terrible at, uh, you say I'm very talented. I'm very talented at things that are, that I'm very, that are very, flashy but everything else in life barry i'm pretty bad (laughs) you are you are a we had this discussion way back i remember on a podcast where we talked about a man's man 
and we have this in our culture, we have this idea that a man's man is I hunt and spit tobacco and, and do wear stuff and work at, but there's different, different types of, of a man's man. And I think we deduce that in your generation of people that there's a lot of guys who are super talented at things that have made them incredible men, but they're not like the man's man from my generation. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're less of one. Right. right. It just means that in their day, in their time, that's who God made them to be. And they're learning that Mm -hmm. they may not be doing it, learning that with him, but they're learning that what God made them. And I think that's what happened to you. Sounds like, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm playing music. It's an outlet. Um, uh, people, people, so yeah, people are, people are knowing I can play music at a young age. Uh, I remember I was, I was 13 years old and I, I, uh, was recording radio jingles Mm. for, for radio ads, Mm. uh, just because I, the person at the music store knew this person and said, you should talk to this person because I bet you he'd be really inclined to show you a thing or two more. And, uh, so I, I was taking instruction from the professor at UWGB at the time. Well, and, uh, um, I was playing at, uh, if you live in Green Bay, you know what this is, but if you don't, it's, it's called the Widener Center. So it's like, oh. like, like it's a symphony hall yeah. and I'm 13 or 14 playing, uh, playing that. Um, I, I was good at it. Uh, I was good. I, I picked up guitar, picked up drums. Um, I picked up the tuba, the sousaphone, um, the baritone, uh, piano, cello, upright bass. Um, I mean, anything I touched, I could play. So, so you're a, you're, you're actually a bit of a prodigy, a music prodigy. I, when I was a kid, that's what they said. And when you, when you tell an 11 year old that you have exemplary skills in one item and these people that are making money doing this want you to be around them and it, that gets a kid mm. cocky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you throw a bunch of cocaine and, and pills and, yeah. and, mm. and meth and oh booze into it. And all of a sudden this person who, who's, uh, I thought maybe I was probably better than I was. <laughs> so clearly there is no way that we're going to finish the rest of your story. So can you come back? Yeah. I want to finish this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's so good, man. So we where are we so we just so we can write it down and remember. I'm I'm about fourteen. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> we're we're at what's the name of the uh the what center were you at? Uh, yeah, the Widener Center. I played the Widener Center. Yeah, uh, I've got that, and I'm going to write down pro uh pro uh project prodigy prodigy yeah prodigy right. and Widener Center. Yeah, and I've got a bunch of other notes here that anyway. So, oh, uh, my mind's spinning. Guys, if you if you are if you are listening to us for the first time, go to fatherseekers.org. Fatherseekers.org. And this is the podcast Teach Me to Father. We'll see you next time.